Sam Stark, and I serve as the Vice President of Communications and External Relations here at Rollins College. Rollins Around Town is a showcase of outstanding people who make dynamic and important contributions to the Rollins campus and throughout Central Florida. In either case, these are difference makers who help uplift the mission and brand of Rollins and who help make our region a special place to live, learn, and work. Today, I am delighted to welcome Sharon Smoley to the show. Sharon is the founder and CEO of Central Florida Public Affairs, an agency specializing in government relations and community engagement throughout Central Florida. Sharon has an impressive background in the space and has worked for companies like Disney, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Charter Communications, and the Orlando Economic Partnership. She is also, perhaps most importantly, a graduate of the Crummer Graduate School of Business here at Rollins College. So Sharon, thanks for being here and welcome to Rollins Around Town. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So it's the day after midterms. I know, you know, for those listening live on WPRK, it's Wednesday morning and we're literally uh, just a few hours probably past when you went to bed. And um, we had a big night here in Central Florida and and the nation will probably focus more on just Central Florida and, and maybe Florida. Um, how you doing? How you holding up? And, and how long of a night was it for you? Good. You know, election nights do tend to be to be long nights for those who follow all of these races. Uh, a little bit unusual last night. It was actually a rather early night. Um, we're always known for having these uh, races with very close calls and very tight margins. And that's just not something that we saw last night. So many of the races, especially as it pertains to Central Florida, were called rather early. Yeah. What uh, can, can you summarize the trend? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, well, we can talk a little bit more long term, but in terms of last night, you know, a lot, there was a lot of national attention on uh, Republican enthusiasm and a big red wave. Um, if you're familiar with uh, Peter Shores, he referred to it as a, uh, a tsunami, a red tsunami, not a wave. So um, we have not seen numbers like this in Florida in terms of Republican control of the legislature um, and the double digit win that uh, Governor DeSantis took last night. So a solidly red wave. Yeah. An interesting, uh, you know, non-candidate um, uh, issue, but we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on our show with um, uh, Anne-Marie from the Winter Park Chamber of Commerce about transportation in Central Florida. And there was a transportation tax and, you know, voting yes was going to help, you know, infuse hundreds of millions of dollars into the region's transportation system. And it failed. Yeah. Um, I guess really simply, why? What happened? Yeah, well, you know, First, let me say um, that the uh, the Winter Park Chamber of Commerce was a great partner. Um, we had a coalition of supporters throughout the county, and the leadership of the Winter Park Chamber was uh, was wonderful in helping to raise awareness of the issue. Um, you know, I always say these these types of issue um, referendums or ballot initiatives they don't live or die because of one thing. Um, so, so we're, we're going to break it down and really learn more about what happened over the last few months. But, um, there were, there were some early signs first. Um, we had the, the red wave that we're talking about and we weren't really marketing, um, and really reaching out probably the way a campaign should to those voters because we always presume that, um, or people typically presume that, um, Democrats are, are those that will vote for, for a tax increase and not Republicans. And what's unfortunate here is that it really was a bipartisan um, issue that had support from both sides of the aisles. But when you 
sort of isolate who you're messaging to, it's going to impact you. And then, you know, you take that and then you see kind of an unprecedented type of voter turnout, less than what you thought on one side and more than what you thought on another. And it's kind of the perfect storm. So I think, um, you know, this was attempted, gosh, almost 20 years ago. Um, and it failed. I, and I believe if I remember right, it failed like 70, 30. Oh, it was um, a beat down. I was at the chamber then and we, we you know, we took a su- supporting stance on it, but it was a beat down then. And, you know, when you, when we looked at that, that, that particular, um, initiative, you know, that there was a lot of money raised from the business community and, and let's be frank, you need the money raised from the business community for any type of countywide statewide referendum, um, unless you have one or two major donors that are willing to stroke, you know, two and three million dollar checks. Um, now, you know, 20 years later, we gained 10 percentage points. It went down 60, 40 last <laughs> night, so not a whole lot better. Right. But we did have support of labor, which w- was very different from what they did um, 20 years ago. And so it is, you know, again, there, there will be a lot of breaking down and looking at that. Um but we really had support, I felt, from the business community, and we had support from um, the potential folks who would benefit the most from this type of tax. Uh, and it just, you know, I think that I think we probably ought to have spent a little more time um, messaging to a different demographic of people. And what we'll find is if we took what happened last night and we message it perfectly two years from now, that's going to look a lot different. Right. These different voters show, show up. Uh, you know, on presidential years, um, different voters also vote down ballot. So, so it's not just you can't just model one or even two elections. They're all they're all very different. And here in Central Florida, we keep finding these little swings where we have a lot of Republicans come out every four years, and on the off years from that, a lot of Democrats come mm-hmm. out. So, we're gonna have to figure this out. Yeah, it's such a big deal, and I, I, I could get sidetracked and talk about this all day. Um, I'll show. What's next for transportation in Central Florida? I mean, I mean, you know, sort of now it's a little bit of the how-to. I mean, doesn't you, at the end of the day, you need a champion, and Mayor Demings from Orange County sort of had a lot of courage and a lot of initiative to at least bring it back onto the ballot into the forefront of the community. Yeah. What's next? Who will do that next time? Well, you know, I wouldn't count Mayor Demings out. I think, you know, if he would have had his way with this, uh, this could have been on the ballot two years ago and likely would have passed based on the, right. you know, the electorate um, two years hmm. ago. And, you know, he did the right thing. We were in the middle of a pandemic, probably did, didn't didn't look or feel like the right opportunity. Um, but he still has four years left and he was reelected, you know, with with a resounding majority. So I think, you know, he'll probably take a little bit of time and assess what issues he wants to continue to really focus on as he spends his last four years. And so I, I don't count out the opportunity to do this um, in a different fashion, um, taking lessons that we learned in two years. Right. Um, and then you still have, you know, Mayor Dyer has been championing this for years. The difference yeah. here is that it really takes Orange County to put the measure on the ballot or a group of people could, you know, do a petition drive and put it on by petition that costs millions of dollars. Um so we still have two leaders in office that truly believe in this. It's truly a priority to them. It didn't get on this time around, so so we'll assess. But I think that, you know, in terms of transportation, there are still some things that can be done. I mean, we've been, you know, for 20 years pulling down dollars from the federal government and, you know, kind of making changes to how we spend. I think, you know, the opportunity with SunRail here, um, you know, still brings in Folks like Brightline, we'll see if they actually come through on some of the things that they've been talking about. Um, so 
you know, it's a wait and see. Yeah. Tough one. Interesting. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Any other standout ones? Any other local elections or races um, that just sort of stand out to you as kind of wow moments? Um, you know, I was surprised to see uh, Representative Smith, um, Carlos Guillermo Smith, lose his election. He, yep. um, you know, it that's tough because he, you know, most of um, he's he's in the UCF area and with redistricting, his district shifted just slightly. Um, and he still won resoundingly in Orange County, but there was a pocket of Seminole County there um, that he had to pick up. And, and I mean, it's almost like there's a dividing line in, in how voters behave just across the county line. And so you know, I think that's tough because he's been a good member for our region. Um, and the other thing I will say is while there was this big red tsunami statewide, mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, where there were Democratic incumbents um, just in Orange County, they seemed to do okay. Uh, West Orange County um, was was an open seat. And so we have a new Republican representative from there, Carolina Amnesty. Um, but that was traditionally a Republican um, stronghold. And it was only in recent years that it flipped. So, you know, if we're going to, we can look at West Orange County kind of like we looked at uh, I four corridor for years and years. It's a it's a swing area, and it's gone back to to a Republican seat. Yeah, fascinating. Um, thanks for that uh, good insight and info. And um, on we go, and we'll see see where it all goes. Yeah. So uh, before we do go any further, let me just uh, say that uh, Sharon's company, Central Florida Public Affairs, is um, we work together, and and we are a client of theirs, and we engage um, Sharon and her firm to help us with some of the important government relations work that we do. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But first, uh, Sharon, t- tell us a little bit about your story. Um, what, what, what brought you to Central Florida? I mean, I guess, you know, as, as quickly as you can, like, wh- where'd you grow up? Um, I think you went to a liberal arts college. And then what brought you down to Central Florida? Yeah, so um, so I was raised in Florida for for the most part. So I you know I graduated from high school in South Florida, but I spent most of my life in a very very small town, Central Florida, uh, Avon Park. So if you blink, you'll miss it going through. <laughs> um, but you know I yeah you know, my family dynamic was always a little bit different. Um, my mother is from Colombia. I was also born in South America. My father is from New England, and. Um, you know, he and his siblings all benefited from from kind of that New England education, um, post-secondary education system. And so he was pretty adamant about his kids having an opportunity to look at that as well. So uh, it's funny when when I when I walk around this campus here, it reminds me a lot of my own college. I, I attended Wheaton College right. uh, in Massachusetts. And so, um, you know, years later, I wound up moving to, to Florida, moving here to central Florida and uh, it became apparent quickly that, um, you know, I wanted to further my my education as you start to grow in business. Um, I was a political science major and I actually work in politics. So I think yeah, that, that <laughs> in and of itself is a little bit unusual. Um, but I, I've sort of always had this this very deep interest in, in policy, um, you know, and I've learned a lot along the way in Florida about, you know, how, how it's made and the sausage making to me is just as interesting mm. as, you know, the stump speeches that you hear on election night. Um, but when you when you want to, you know, if you're not going to take the path of working in government or or being elected, um, chances are you're going to go work for some type of private organization. And, and in doing so, I really felt like I was lacking that kind of core business um, kind of foundation education or experience. 
Um, I was much younger then. Uh, and, you know, Crummer has a, an excellent reputation, and it really just felt like home to me, um, being so similar. And also, you know, Crummer offers programs for pretty much whatever type of student would like to get their MBA, there's probably a place for them at Crummer, whether you can do this full time, whether you can do two days a week. I was part of the inaugural Saturday MBA program. Nice. So I did every Saturday for what seemed like a decade, but it was was much shorter. It was much shorter than that. (laughs) Um, And it was an opportunity. What you love about it is you really get, you know, I'm in the relationship business and you form these relationships with your cohort because it's the same people every Saturday for, I think it was 20 months, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And then also that one-on-one with the professors at Crummer. So um, it was a no-brainer and it was such a great opportunity for me. And I'm still reaping the benefits of it today. I mean, you know, now you're officially an entrepreneur. Um, so what, what was your, what was sort of the motivation to, to do that? To, to, you know, you, you've worked for some impressive and amazing companies, um, some big and for-profit, some semi-big and not-for-profit. But um, what, what was your aha moment that said, I need to do this, you know, on my own? Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't come, you know, from an entrepreneurial background, um, you know, I come from a family of teachers and police officers. And so the, the thought of going out on my own was scary. Um, and even when I was at Kremer and even when I got my MBA, it was never something I considered doing. Um, but you kind of, you know, you find your path and you're moving along in your career. And there are so many issues that I um, have had the opportunity to advise on or that I want to work on. And, um, you know, some are more interesting than others. But you kind of have to make a decision at a certain point. You stick with an industry and you you lead in whatever organization you're in. Or if this is your passion, you know, maybe you just need to do it for yourself. And I think for me, it was an opportunity um, to really get to expand my portfolio. And, and I don't say this in a, in a negative way, but, you know, I was constantly trying to keep up with deadlines or, you know, looking at people's PowerPoint presentations, making sure they were, they were, you know, correct and accurate. And all of that's extremely important, but it's really not how I wanted to spend all of my time. Right. Um, I am more fascinated by taking a look at an overall issue or problem or a community need. And then, you know, really with, without ever having thought about it in this manner, I have this kind of deep um, wealth of relationships in this community and, you know, one day you wake up and you realize that that's actually a skill that you can bring people together from all over on whatever issue it is, um, you know, and build coalitions and move an agenda forward. And so for me, um, you know, I considered doing this, I want to say, three years before I actually did it, I was very close. I actually filed the name of the company, did my little (laughs) sunbiz.org. Right. Um, And I just couldn't pull the trigger. And it just comes from my very deep need for security and health benefits and a paycheck. And I just, I did, I just couldn't do it. Um, and then I went to work for the Orlando Economic Partnership. And it's so funny when, you know, there's always another, I always feel like there's someone looking out for me out there because while I had these great relationships and I'd worked with, with these great companies leading up to the Orlando Economic Partnership, um, they had an old brand, um, but you don't know the half of it. right? And it's absolutely accurate because there's this, you know, Outside of tourism and major industry, we've got thriving technology companies. Um, the you know what the education institutions of this area do, 
um, is a whole, a whole other half of Orlando that's a, a great benefit. And so um, the, the last, I would say, three years before I went out on my own was the best decision I could have made to set, to set myself up for success. And so okay. I think for me, it's just timing. Yeah, that matters. That's impressive. Do you look back? I mean, you know, you said it uh, that you, you got your degree a while ago. Um, you certainly learned a lot of skills and, and know business as good as, as well as anybody. Do you look back today and, and apply Crummer, you know, learnings and in-class learnings or, or is it just, you know, is it just sort of now inherent no. and, and gut stuff that you do that you, I mean, some of it is, I don't think, I don't think you're going to thrive very well in, in the political process. If, if there's not a whole lot of gut instinct that just works out for you, right. whether you call it luck or skill, you know, who knows? Right. Um, but, but one thing I learned at Kremer, I think that has always stuck with me is that there's just always a lot you don't know and you, you ought to really spend the time understanding what you're getting yourself into. So, um, yeah, I think one of the, the things too, when you're, when you go out on your own, uh, things like marketing, I mean, I learned how to do that at Kremer, <laughs> you know, um, it, granted lots has changed since then, uh, you know, what's that going to look like? Did you, you kind of do need to have a business plan? It might not be your traditional business plan in the sense of what I'm doing because it's more of consulting work, but you, you need to have a pretty clear direction of where you're going to be in five years, where you're going to be in two years. And that really drove me at least my very first year, yeah. which I just completed year one, November 1st. Happy anniversary. Um, you know, I had a financial goal in mind. I had a number of clients in mind. Um, and it's really hard every day not to stray from what I originally set out to do because it's so tempting. There's a, there's a lot to be done out there. <laughs> right. um, and I think that's probably probably the biggest lesson I learned at Crummer is, you know, make a plan and stick to it. There's always going to be variables that come your way. But I think you know, nothing sinks a business quicker than you try to take on right. a lot of different things. And, and really only set out to do one. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like I can check the box uh, on year one having done that. And you know, now it's time to reassess. What do the next three or four or five years look like? I love it. Do you still, are you engaged? Like is, is, uh, at least for you, is there a good alumni network? Is there still good um, offerings to help stay connected with your either classmates and or just other Crummer alumni? Yeah. Well, we did really great for years, like getting together all the time. So, you know, Thank God for social media because we, we all kind of know what, what each other is doing. Um, we haven't gotten together as a group for a while, but but it does happen. And we do, you know, for the most part, know what, what everyone's doing. And, you know, one person, for instance, years later, um, we wound up working together, you know, at Walt Disney World. Actually, two members of my class were at Disney when I was at Disney, but I wasn't there when <laughs> I went through the class. And so it's always nice when you walk into a situation, and you see a, a fellow, you know, class member and then. The other piece is, you know, when you say that you're a Crummer grad, you find out there's three or four other people that either went to Rollins or went to Crummer, and you've probably known them for right. years. That's fantastic. It's a good network. I love that. Uh, we can talk a little bit about that in a minute, too. <clears throat> Sorry. Rollins, you know, has, a, has an important place to play when it comes to um, the political space, which is why I was so excited when you did go out on your own and had the opportunity to, um, you know, sort of take advantage of your skills and your network as we talk about the ease grants. Uh, we've talked about it on this show before, but it's uh, effective access to student education. Um, it's an access grant that the state of Florida has for Florida students to get um, a, a certain sum of money that does change annually for choosing and to go to one of the independent colleges and universities in Florida. 
about 30 some of those. And the, the, the dollar figure has usually been around 2,500, 2,800, 3,000. Um, and so it's, it's a nice, you know, little supplement for Florida residents to be able to help offset tuition uh, and room and board costs to go to an independent college. Last year, uh, the independent colleges and universities uh, took a big hit in Tallahassee, and that number went down. And um, it was a tough. It was a tough year. We went. The, the Florida residents ultimately are the ones that sort of got dinged from twenty eight hundred dollars per student to, down to two thousand. So, what can Rollins do? What can this independent you know sector do uh, to help? get that back up to help the 45,000-ish families of Florida get that, uh, that, that funding back up. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I love that Rollins is so engaged in that conversation um, because, you know, it, it impacts every individual just a little bit, and sometimes those are the easy ones to ignore. Right. Um, but cumulatively, it's, you know, it's, it's very significant for Floridians around the state of Florida. So I think one of the things that, that Rollins has done really well is to stick with the, the industry association, right? You get... Um, you have a coalition around it. So this isn't only important to Rollins, it's important to a lot of independent institutions. And so, you know, I would, you know, my advice would be to to make sure that you maintain that network, you know, lead in the areas where you can, you know, Central Florida in particular. Um, you know, what, what the association needs to do moving forward. I think it's always hard when you, you know, a year after taking a hit like that, but you know, one thing that I've learned is these things take a couple of years, at least, you know, three is, you know, what I hear is the norm for, um, for making a change legislatively. But as we, as we saw last night, uh, you know, we've got a, a very powerful governor um, who, you know, has benefited from, from the education of an independent college. And I think, um, you know, ensuring that the relationship with the governor's office is strong uh, is important and, you know, just working the coalition and hopefully, uh, you know, the legislature will, again, there's what, what did they say? I think 80 or 90 um, Republicans in the House now. So it's it's yeah. significant. So everyone's going to kind of be marching in lockstep. It's a little different. It's not like you can lobby the 49% that you need or, you know, you, you're, you got kind of one voice there. So it's really important to make sure that no matter what your politics are, this is a policy issue and it's a right. policy issue that benefits the students that go here. And if you have a governor, no matter what your politics are, who is, you know, inclined to be helpful in that area, then you ought to sell, you know, make mm. sure you have a good relationship there. You know, I'm sure at some point we'll um, ask our constituents to help us, you know, the old uh, write your congressman. Um, how important is that for an issue like this? Uh, as we have students and fac faculty and staff and alumni and just other Central Florida and perhaps Florida residents listening to this show, like how important is that civic engagement of literally just writing your representative and or senator and or governor? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it always goes back to the, the old saying that all politics is local. Um, so, you know, being connected to the elected officials that that you know, reside in the same areas as you maybe, you don't have to live directly in their district, but there's, you know, a dozen or so Central Florida um, House and Senate members, a little more than that. You know, it's your duty really to get to know them and to form relationships with them. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that, that they have to say, but, you know, we've come to this point in society where, you know, if you, if you have an R or D behind your name, that's going to dictate, you know, whether someone should, 
should have just basic respect for you. And that's not that's not what policy is. That's not what we were founded on. And, you know, this is this is a an issue and a policy that will benefit anyone, you know, party party aside. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, I get to know your members. Writing your members is, is always important. But I think, you know, seeing the dynamics, like I said, of what we saw last night in the state of Florida. Right having that relationship with the folks in leadership in Tallahassee is going to be critical. Policy versus politics. That's a really, that's a, that's a great way to sort of summarize it and simplify it and separate it. Because to your point, so many people are so passionate about their personal politics. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I'm I'm passionate about mine as well. Right. But I won't do a very good job for my clients if I can't distinguish between the two. And if I can't, you know, behave accordingly. Accordingly, yeah. There's there's many members that you know, kind of, you can leave their office scratching your head sometimes. But if you know, that's not an issue that I'm there working. You know, right. and also it's my issue. It's not it's not my clients and clients have varied issues. And so, I just you know, I would love to see, you know, the country. I guess um, just go back to a place where you know you can fundamentally disagree with someone that doesn't make them bad people. Right. Yeah. We we had a show about that. Uh, with some non-Rollins people, uh, Fred Guttenberg um, and Joe Walsh, a former representative from from the state of Illinois, and just talking about, I mean, their topic was, the, as they called it, saving democracy. Um, is that hyperbolic? I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But um, I think the point generally being, it's okay to disagree. Yeah. Um, just do it with some civility. Yeah. A little bit of a lost art these days. Um, how, how do you, how will you deal with that in your business? Um, when it, will you take clients that you just don't believe in their cause? Um, like what's the line that you, you have to be able to draw in a situation like that? Yeah. I mean, no, I think for someone like me, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I could. Um, and I've actually never really been faced with that situation. I've never had a client come to me who I just, you know, can't believe that, that they're, you know, they want to you know, put a specific bill out there um, or, you know, local ordinance that, that I fundamentally disagree with. I mean, there's some things I'm not extraordinarily passionate about, um, but I, you can't be passionate about everything you work on or I'd right. have, you know, like three things to work on. You know, one being like you know, something silly I'm not going to say on, on the radio. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, th- I, think, I think that, that that's almost impossible for, at least for me to do, to work on something that I absolutely oppose. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Central Florida region. I mean, you know, you we're, we're we've probably been in this market about the same time. Probably I'm a smidge older. Um, boy, Central Florida's changed a bit, yeah. um, and it's growing like crazy. We talked about the transportation thing, but give me your, you know, sort of where do you see Rollins around town, and sort of what's the impact in you know the, in your lens for the value and the importance of Rollins in our yeah. community. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm an alum, so maybe, maybe I see it a little bit different, but, um, you know, it's an invaluable asset. And I, I, I will just say this again, from, from my, from my lens and in the policy arena, when you look at, um, you know, different education institutions, you know, you, you look at like the big ones, right? Like, like UCF or the state college system and, and they're all valuable to, to the region as well. But you really don't get that balance without having institutions like Rollins and having, you know, programs like having Crummer here. Um, I think that that it's different in that you, know, you talked a little bit about your network. 
these networks stay. They're embedded in this community. You never know when you're going to run into a fellow, you know, Crummer or or Rollins <laughs> alumni. Um, and I, and I would say this, you know, it it would be such a detriment to not have Rollins in this community. And sometimes we just, I it, I don't think it's ever overlooked, but it's very easily taken for granted. Yeah. Like Rollins is Winter Park. Winter Park is Rollins. Um, it's almost hard to distinguish between the two. So, you know, and I think it also provides a very different type of education, a very hands-on type of education. You know, not all kids, including myself when I was that age, are cut out for a major university. Um, You know, this works a lot better for certain types of people. And I know, you know, the hundreds and thousands of alumni that you guys have, have, you know, that they would say, say the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, What's your, do you have sort of a, a snap your fingers, you know, make it happen wish for our region. Um, and maybe you could even go a little broader in terms of democracy and politics and public policy. Maybe try to localize it first. Just, just curious. I ask a lot of times for, you know, specifically to Rollins guests, faculty, staff, and students. And, you know, they all, they all have certain answers like, you know, want more days off, more Fox days, but, um, <laughs> um, with, with your lens and your space um, as a Central Florida, you know, advocate, what's what's your snap your fingers, make it happen wish? Um, I, you know, I would love to see the caliber and quality of candidates who run for office, um, you know, step it up a little bit. And we have excellent um, elected officials, but, you know, we're, we're not talking about what's going on in our communities enough with each other, um, you know, there's a there's a program, the uh, Center Florida Political Leadership Institute, which I worked on for for numerous years, and its sole purpose is to um, train candidates who potentially want to run for office on how to run a successful campaign. There's a lot of candidates that that get in office, and through no fault of their own, they're just not aware of most of the issues. Because why would they be? You know, if you are a business person working in a specific industry. Why would you know about soil and water? Like, why would you, you know? And so, so I, I think there's there's a misunderstanding on behalf of the public that elected officials are expected to be experts on everything. They are not. They are human, just like all of us. Right. Um, so, and then I think that, you know, on the elected official side, I think sometimes people step into these roles believing, you know, that they can make a change in one or two areas and they don't care about the others. Or they don't listen to experts who know about, you know, the other areas. And so I just, you know, I, I wish there was a a, a more balanced um, approach to how people go about running for office and how we choose who we elect. You know, we're like in a celebrity environment now, right? If, you, right. if you've got a cool TikTok, then you should definitely <laughs> run for office. Um, but, you know, I probably wouldn't want you voting on most of the things that are going to come before right. you. Right. Um, and that's not a knock on, on you know, elected officials across the board. I think that I think everyone goes into it with good intent. You know, yeah. I, I do. And, and, I, and I also think it's really easy to tear down an elected official. This is part of this kind of yes. political vitriol kind of yeah. um, speak that we have out there. But. I wouldn't run for office. That's a hard, hard, hard job. I mean, this is much easier on on this side of the fence. But but elected officials give up a lot, right? Um, so. I was I was just going to ask you that. Would but do, would you not do it just because of the tone and the toxicity, or would you not do it just because it's not where you feel like you can really you know make a difference or, or, or you're passionate by it? 
Um, well, you know, never say never. Right. You know, I would say that. But in Florida, you know, we've got this system. So if you're going to run for the Florida legislature, you must have the type of job that is incredibly flexible and allows you to not show up for work for a minimum of 60 days, but it's always much more than that. Um, it could be significantly more than that if there are special sessions. Um, or you just have to be independently wealthy. Right. So those two types of people set policy for the state of Florida. Yeah. You know, there's an anomaly here and there, but that, that's that's a must because, you know, it's, a part, it's considered a part-time job. And so that has its own ramifications and consequences. Um, so, you know, there's, there's one thing I would change. Uh, you know, figure out a, a way to make it easier for, for strong-minded, you know, people that, you know, are able to, to, to run for office. I think it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one for sure. Um, this is awesome. I, I could literally spend the whole day talking local politics and national politics and theory and, you know, um, how, how we make our democracy and our country and our region better, but there's no one better to do that with than you. So thank oh, you thank so you for much me. for being on the show. Thanks for your great work and help with Rollins and um, with all the other projects and clients that you have. So um, just really uh, wish you continued good luck. One year is a huge milestone. We feel lucky. I feel lucky that we got to get in on uh, on your business on the front end. And uh, hopefully it's a good long-term partnership. So thanks for uh, for doing what you're doing for us. No, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And I, I love being on the radio show. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you to Layla, our awesome Rollins student, who's our marketing coordinator and our board operator this morning. Uh, special thanks again to Sharon Smoley for being our guest. Uh, you can look up Central Florida Public Affairs and uh, learn more about her great company and the work that uh, they do for our region. Keep updated on all of our shows and guests. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rollins Around Town and subscribe to our podcast, Rollins Around Town on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So with that, we thank you for joining us and wish you a great day.